Precious Father in heaven, we do long to draw nearer, still nearer to you. And we long to bring as many people with us as possible. Father, we're here this morning to worship you. We ask that you quiet the many thoughts in our minds that may be thinking about the various things that have taken place this week and that you fix our eyes on Jesus and Jesus only. Lord, may we walk out of here having fallen more in love with you is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Been some incredible things happening this past week. I don't know if you've been following the news. I'm sure you have. It'd be hard. You'd have to be hiding in a, a hole somewhere to not have heard what all happened this week. But something happened in the capital that you might not have heard about this past week. Sure, we have uh, the Pope who came and he addressed a, a joint session of Congress. We have a picture of him here. Now, there's something interesting about this picture that you might not have thought about. What is the, the pontiff doing here? He's drinking a glass of water. Well, something interesting happened immediately after his speech because he walked out of Congress and you had everybody's attention was drawn to the Pope walking out of the Capitol building and everybody was focused on that when a certain congressman got an idea. His name was Bob Brady. Now, Bob Brady's from Pennsylvania and Bob went to the lectern where the Pope had been speaking, and you see how he had that glass of water? If you look at the next slide, Bob grabbed the glass of water, because he knew that that was a glass of water that the Pope himself had sipped out of, and he took that glass of water and he rushed with it back to his office, and in his office, he finally took a sip from the same cup that the Pope had drinking from. But not only that, he went and he gave a drink to his wife, and he gave a drink to some of his staffers. He called another congressman, a friend of his, to come to his office so they could have a drink from this special glass. And then he invited another uh, friend and his wife, and they came and they dipped their fingers in the water. And then he bottled up the water, and he was going to take it to his kids so that they too could have a sip of water from the same cup as the Pope. It's crazy the things we do this day and age, isn't it? Crazy the lengths we go to for some things that don't make much sense. Somebody pointed out, well, even if you're a Catholic, you should realize that he needed to have blessed the water in order for it to come holy water. And he said, I don't care. I, I believe it was holy water because the Pope drank from the cup. It's crazy the lengths we go to to find satisfaction in life, to find peace in life, to find joy in life. And when I think in my life, I can't really point fingers at Bob Brady and say, why did he do these ridiculous things? Because I look at the things I've done in my own life, and I realize I've been just as foolish. I've done some stranger things than that in order to find satisfaction in my life, in order to find joy, in order to, to fulfill what I thought was important in life. Well, let's go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, this story that we've been looking at about how the Holy Spirit was poured out on a group of fishermen, a group of tax collectors, a group who had been following Jesus, who were radically changed when they received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and became witnesses. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 
It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We talked about this, how incredible in just a moment they were able to learn all of these languages that they couldn't have learned in an entire lifetime if they had tried. And yet the Holy Spirit in a moment gave them the ability to reach out and to witness to all of these people of all these different nations and all of these different tongues, speaking their languages. Incredible story what the Holy Spirit did. But as we look on in the story, it's very fascinating to see what grabs the attention of this crowd. It goes on to talk about how there were devout men dwelling there in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to list all the different people who were there. Uh, verse 6 says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So this, this occasion, what was taking place with these 11 disciples plus the other of the 120 who were all gathered together, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, what took place here? grabbed the attention of multitudes of people who were there in Jerusalem for this special occasion of the Feast of Pentecost. And they all come together to see what is going on. And we read about earlier how there were people from all these different language groups. You had from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, all these different languages. But look down in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Now, part of this was the fact that they were speaking all of these different languages. That would be an amazing thing in and of itself, wouldn't it? That would be amazing to if I spoke Spanish and somebody else spoke Greek and to suddenly hear people that we knew only spoke English to suddenly be able to speak our language. That would be an amazing thing. But I want to challenge us to think a little deeper because I think something greater than this was taking place. In order to really grasp the multitude's attention, it had to have been something more than just people speaking their own language. It had to have been something more than just being a familiar language that was coming to their ears, but they were hearing something that got them excited. Because look at the very next verse. Look at what other people said in verse 13. Others mocking said they are full of new wine. They mocked them. They looked at them and they said, they're drunk. They, they must just be drunk. Now, if you've seen people as they've gotten drunk, they don't normally start speaking another language, do they? How are people when they're drunk? There can be a variety of things. Sometimes it can be terrible things. They can be angry. But sometimes... When you see a group of people, when they go to a party, they're all drinking because it gives them this sense of freedom, this sense of apparent joy. Have you ever seen that before? Uh, those of you who have witnessed a party, it looks like they're having a really good time. Have you ever seen that before when people begin to drink? I want to challenge us to think that maybe there was some sort of exuberance some sort of joy, some sort of excitement, that as people looked at this group and as they're speaking all these different languages and they saw this, they said, 
They must just be drunk. That's, that just has to be what it is. This, this excitement that they're having, this has to be some substance. They're on something. That's the only way they could be acting like this. I know that they must be on something. Now look at how Peter responds. In verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who are dwelling in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, we know from our reckoning of New Testament time, the third hour of the day would have been about 9 a.m. in the morning. So Peter says, People don't get drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, I would argue with Peter because I was sitting in the Houston airport a while back and I was sitting across from the mango truck. The mango truck is a bar and now I had flown all night to get to Houston. When I got to Houston early in the morning, I was watching this bar. And you know that bar opens up at, I think it's about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, who's going to go to a bar and drink at 7 o'clock in the morning? Well, by the time my flight flew out a little after 9 o'clock... Ten people had gone to the bar, taking their time, drinking a few drinks early in the morning. What is it that would drive somebody to drink that early in the morning? Why do people drink? What is the main reason that a person goes to a bar early in the morning? It would be because they're lacking something, right? They're looking for something more. There's some sort of satisfaction missing in their life, and they're looking to a particular substance. Just like Bob Brady is looking to the Pope's backwash in order to feel a little more satisfied. Some people look to alcohol and say, this alcohol, it's going to give me this feeling of joy. It's going to give me this sense of freedom that I need this in order to make it through my day. Maybe for somebody else, it's caffeine. or, or You know, as a kid, I remember going on a progressive track with friends. We were on a camping trip with some friends on the east side of the Sierras, and we went to this camp where we were finding these MREs, which are meals ready to eat that uh, the army has, has used in their trainings, and we were finding these in various places that, around this camp, and we found all these sugar packs in these MREs, and suddenly we got this idea, hey, what if we took like six sugar packets and we put them all under our tongue at once? Would that give us like a rush of excitement? So we tried it, and it was pretty exciting. And then somebody else was saying, well, maybe we should, we should actually snort it like cocaine and see what the sugar does for us. All kinds of ridiculous things in order to feel better. But then I remember getting to high school, and, and in the morning we'd have practice really early in the morning, about 5, 6 a.m. And then we'd go after practice to the a.m. p.m., and we'd get a bunch of energy drinks because those energy drinks would rewake us up, and suddenly we'd like the way that we felt. As I got a little farther into high school, I remember looking at people who I thought, well, hey, they look like they're having a good time. Why are they having such a good time? And I thought, well, maybe I needed to try drinking alcohol. And I began to, to try some other substances and to, to try to find that joy that I wasn't finding any other way. For me, it was a lack of satisfaction. And, and as we become witnesses for Jesus... There is no greater witness than to be filled with satisfaction and to be filled with joy. Because as a high school student, I had 
teachers and, and people that I looked up to, maybe even youth pastors, who were telling me that I needed to follow Jesus. They were telling me about Jesus and, and that this was the best life ever. But sometimes when I looked at their lives, I thought, that's not the best life ever. They're grumpy. They're, they, they have this temper, this short temper. And look at how they talk trash on the basketball court. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be like them. My friend who's strung out on marijuana or who's doing this, he's a nicer guy than them. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. How do we become great witnesses for God? It's by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on to point it out like this. In verse 16, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, these people aren't drunk, but look, this is what these people are experiencing. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my men servant, I will pour my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Peter says, they're not drunk. They're full of this exuberance. They're full of this joy. They have all of this freedom because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is doing this to them. You know, Paul later on goes on to make this exact contrast. Keep your finger in Acts chapter 2, but look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. I love Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Normally, we may talk about the first part of the verse But it goes on to contrast somebody who drinks wine with somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. This is a waste because you may take this substance and and for those of us that aren't struggling with something like that, we may go to, to various things in order to fulfill ourselves. Substitute whatever might be here that, that you go to in your life to find joy, to find satisfaction. You do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but what? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What are just the first three fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians 5.22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy and peace. If you think about it, if we were constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, if I continually had the fruit of the Spirit in my life, if every day as I went through the day I was filled with love, I was filled with joy, if I was filled with peace, I would never want to put any substance into my body to change my state of being, my thought processes, because I would already have all the joy that I could want. I would already have all the satisfaction that I wanted. So the Bible tells us, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be looking to other things to satisfy you, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And back in Acts 2, Peter says, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on down to say, in verse 24 or 25, he begins to talk about how David described what had taken place to Jesus. Now, the disciples are there and they're sharing about how Jesus has been raised from the dead. And they're so excited about this because they recognize that something real has taken place. That their best friend, Jesus, who they walked in his footsteps, who'd healed their diseases, who'd raised their dead from the grave, that Jesus had now ascended into the heavenly places. And in verse 25, 
Peter quotes from David saying this. He's quoting from Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter says, look, this whole thing that's taken place, this is because Jesus has been raised from the dead. He goes on to point out, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of the body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we all are witnesses. Because we're witnesses of something that has taken place in, in heaven, that Jesus has been raised into the heavenly places. This is what we're witnesses of. Then it goes on to say, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. So Jesus was raised up and He was brought to heaven. And what does it say at the end of that psalm in verse 16-11 or here He quotes it in verse 28, You have made me know the ways of life. You make me full of joy in Your presence. It says, Jesus has been raised up into heavenly places and he has been filled with joy because his sacrifice is complete. There's no longer needs to be any separation between humanity and God. His sacrifice was sufficient. He took our, our blame. He went to the grave. He bore our sins and now he has been raised to life and he's received the Holy Spirit and that same joy that Jesus has in being in heaven, being in the presence of the Father. That same joy, it says, He has poured out on us also. He's poured out the Holy Spirit so that you and I too can have fullness of joy. That we too can have those pleasures forevermore that Psalm 1611 tells us are in the presence of God. Friends, the reason the disciples were such an incredible witness wasn't just that they were able to speak a bunch of different languages, but it was because they had the presence of Jesus poured out on them through the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in their lives filled them with such ecstatic joy that when people looked at them, they said, we want what you have. You finish reading this story and 3,000 people are baptized. They say, we want the same experience that you're having. So in my life, I have to ask, is my experience with Jesus such that my neighbors want it? Or do they look at me and say, man, he's miserable. Whatever religion he has, I don't want what he has. Do they look at me and my family? Does my family look at me and say, I want to know God like he knows God? Because look at the joy he has. Look at the peace he has. Look at how he knows Jesus. There's nothing that will be a greater witness to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, like being filled 
with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the fruit of the Spirit, when we're filled with love, when we're filled with joy, when we're filled with peace, then the world will want to know Jesus like we know Him. Thank you, Eldon, for reading the Scripture in John 7 where Jesus comes in the midst of the feast and He says, Come to Me, all you that thirst... Sorry, John 7, 37. He says, let's go there. (laughs) John 7, verse 37. It says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when Jesus was glorified on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and all those who believed in Jesus received what Jesus was promising them. He told them to come to me and drink. The world is thirsty. I remember in high school that my friend, he used to have the code word, he'd say, I'm thirsty. And that didn't mean that we needed to go find a drinking fountain. That meant that he wanted a drink of alcohol because he wasn't satisfied. He wanted joy in his life. And my friend and I, sometimes we would drink in the morning and we'd drink during the day at school because we weren't satisfied. We were looking for something more. Jesus says, you're thirsting. You're looking for satisfaction in this entertainment. You're looking for satisfaction, maybe even in your job. You're looking for satisfaction in all these places. But whoever believes in me, whoever drinks, will never thirst. I want that kind of experience with Jesus. I want to drink more fully of the joy of His salvation so that the people I come into contact with want to know the Jesus that I know. I love in the book Adventist Home how it says this about the presence of Christ. It says the presence of Christ alone can make men and women happy. Are you looking for happiness? The whole world is looking for happiness. I mean, we have happy meals. We have, I remember in Modesto, we had billboards that said, get happy, and it was a picture of a Prius. Is that really going to make me happy? The presence of Christ alone can make men and women happy. All the common waters of life, Christ can turn into the wine of heaven. In God's presence is fullness of joy. When we get to heaven, there's going to be fullness of joy. But friends, heaven can start now for you and me because we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We can have the fullness of His presence now. John 15.11, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And if my joy is full, then I'm not going to be looking to any other place to have more joy added to my life because I have everything that I need when I have Jesus. There's nothing like drinking fully from the fountain of the water of life which Jesus has to offer us. And that's what this Sabbath is all about as we have communion, as we celebrate the communion together. It's a remembrance that Jesus went through that infinite sacrifice so that you and I can have life. It's a remembrance that Jesus wants to fill you and I with His Holy Spirit today. He wants to fill us with joy today. Father, thank You. Thank You for separating us 
from the sin that so easily drags us away from Jesus. And for wanting to fill us with joy. Wanting to fill us with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go through this ordinance of humility, I just pray that we would be more closely identified with Jesus than we ever have been before. And that we'd be filled with that joy that comes from knowing Jesus for ourselves. We won't long to represent this to the world around us. And so I pray that as we go through this experience, that we will be filled with more of the love, more of the joy, more of the peace that you promise us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.